We have been talking about the Bodhisattva over the course of these last few days. And we've spent a bit of time talking about what the Bodhisattva was, what kind of being this being is. I'm trying to avoid gender roles, because the tendency is always to say he, he, because most of them, as they appear, are male. But I think we, we can uh, revise the teachings as we go along, as they're more appropriate <laughs> to our lives. So if I happen to slip, you'll understand it's just habit energy. <clears throat> so we spoke about what kind of being this being is, and perhaps today it would be helpful to talk a little bit about where this being lives and what the place of this being is and how to characterize it. So pretty clearly, the Bodhisattva lives in this world. <clears throat> However, that we use a phrase, I'm in the world, but not of the world. And so certainly the Bodhisattva is in the world. Sometimes uh, inconspicuous, nothing special, but moves through the world as if a totally ordinary being and in some sense, the bodhisattva is, in some sense, an ordinary person. Nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing super, supernatural. Maybe super normal, but not supernatural. Quite, quite a natural being. But has a function and has a way a way of being in the world that is pretty extraordinary. Some, and I want to approach the bodhisattva from their way of being in the world and the quality of the world that they're in. Actually, it's perhaps more appropriate to say that the bodhisattva creates a world within the world that they live in. Wherever this bodhisattva energy in an ordinary person manifests, engages, a world is created. And we sometimes call this world the pure land. We read, we read about the pure lotus land in Hakuin's Song of Zazen. <clears throat> sometimes this land is called the pure land. Sometimes it's called a Buddha field. So the bodhisattva with a certain energy, let's say the energy of great compassion, and by great compassion, we may mean not just something really big, but something noble. 
great in that sense. So when the Bodhisattva manifests this great compassion, this noble, caring wisdom and compassion connected, there is a field created called the Pure Land, the Buddha field. You could think of it as a kind of aura that we, we sometimes feel with when we get in touch with somebody. You know, we can feel, ooh, I feel that person's energy, right? That energy can be a very welcoming, very caring, very loving energy, or it can feel very rigid and formal and off-putting. And so you kind of feel this vibration, don't come near me, or I'm, I'm here, I'm available. This is the bodhisattva energy, is welcoming and warm. And this field, this Buddha land that is created, when that energy is engaged, and it is, it is engaged at the moment that there is a need. You move, you're moving through the, the world, you're doing your ordinary things, and at some point, like we talk about the lifeguard, the lifeguard sees somebody struggling in the water clicks into action, or the first responder, they're, they're always ready, right? There's a readiness and availability there. That's the bodhisattva way, is availability, openness. And then when need is expressed, then the lifeguard jumps into the water, or the first responder gets into the 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 uh, car or whatever vehicle they happen to be driving in and goes to the scene, goes right to the scene. And when that, in, that energy is engaged in the world, immediately there's a field, a field created, a land created within that bodhisattva's realm of influence. That being is acting and is acting out of great compassion. And out of that, there is established a pure land. And the pure land arises. It's, it's not always there except as ready to be created. When it is engaged, that's when this land happens. It's actually, it's actually the, the creation of world. And a very beautiful thing. However, this Buddha field, this pure land, is not certain things. It is not a place where problems get solved 
or things that are broken get fixed. That's not, not what's happening in the, in the Buddha field. It's not a heaven. It's not, you know, some place far, far away up in the clouds, some perfect, perfect paradise. And it's not a paradise prior to the fall of human beings. It's not the paradise before the fall, and it's not the heaven after the fall. It's, it's, not, it's nothing like a paradise. Nor is it a place in which, could say, misery loves company. It's not a place where when the bodhisattva arrives, they just commiserate with, you know, oh yeah, let's, this is horrible, your situation's horrible, uh, just let's, let's cry together, let's whine together, let's have a pity party. It's, it's not that kind of, that's not what happens in the pure land. It's not a place either of, on the other hand, kind of bright-siding everything. You know, oh, everything's going to be all right. You know, the world is beautiful, no, nothing to worry about. Uh, yeah, just look, put on your rose-colored glasses and everything will be just fine. In our practice, we do we not sugarcoat things. We're not about sugarcoating anything. So it's not a place where just, you know, comfort and, you know, patting people on the head and it's, it's, that's not what's happening there. It's not a place where your life gets figured out once and for all. It's not when you finally find the core thing, you know, that's making you suffer. That's not what happens there. Nor is it a place, it's not a vacation. It's not um, a place where you just go to get away from it all. Like, oh, (laughs) this is not a resort (laughs) by any manner of means. Some people think of it, you know, I just want to get away from it all and get some solitude. Um, They get here, they find it. (laughs) That is not what happens here. So it's none of those kinds of places. The kind of field that it is, the kind of land that it is, that's created is what we call in Zen an empty field. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Cultivating the Empty Field by a Chinese master, Hong Shui. Actually, my Black Rock Sioux has a quote from that text on it. It's a, it's a, it's a very profound teaching This is a field that we create that is a field of possibility. It's a field where anything can happen, in which we come 
I'm thinking of Rumi. There is a field beyond right and wrong. Meet me there. So this field that we create is a field beyond right and wrong, beyond the worldly dharmas, beyond right and wrong, pleasure and pain, fame and obscurity, beyond all of those dualities. It's a field where there's a complete openness, like this this vast, wide field where we can wander without uh, without obstruction. And we can find things that are surprising, that are healing, that are helpful to us. But it has to be without discrimination, without a lot of furniture, without a lot of stuff, without a lot of preconceptions, without a lot of goals, without a lot of uh, um, filters that you bring with you. And that's what we're practicing on our cushion. To enter this empty field and see what's possible, to see what is real. This word pure, the pure land, doesn't mean morally pure, like I'm without. I don't want to use the word flaws or sins or anything like that. But without even something we think of as a flaw or imperfection. It's not pure in that sense. It's pure in the sense of clear, like water is pure. It's clear. This field is clear, like the sky, clear blue sky, clear blue mind. This is the ultimate empty field. (laughs) Because whatever, whatever world we create is a reflection of our own minds, capital M, not our brains, our minds, our heart minds. So this is a field of openness, of trust, a field where when we bring our bodhisattva energy of wisdom and compassion into the world. We create something really beneficial for beings, for all beings, not just for the beings that we are directly in in contact with. And I suspect that each of you can identify such a field, such a land, that when you go there, you feel clear, 
open, trusting, sincere, and genuine. And very often these, these fields are created by human beings. And I'm thinking of my grandmother, my grandmother Ida. Um, may she rest in peace. Who inevitably created these fields whenever I entered her apartment. She was there to create this pure land for me as a child. I was probably one of the original latchkey children. Um, my father didn't really work and my mother had to work. And so I came home from elementary school uh, to my grandmother's house, not, not to my house, because I was a kid, I couldn't, couldn't get in. <laughs> so I walked to my grandmother's house. Later on, I became a latchkey child, but this early on in elementary school, I had to go to my grandmother's house. And she would be there with um, a piece of pumpernickel bread, dark Jewish pumpernickel bread, with a, a slab of butter about that thick, with salt on it. And I would sit on her lap and eat this piece of pumpernickel bread with this incredible amount of butter <laughs> and salt. And she would tell me stories when I got back from school. And she was, she was from Austria, so she still had a pretty heavy accent. She, she spoke Yiddish, but she didn't she never really lost her Yiddish accent. And she, I remember when she would tell me the story of Hansel and Gretel. She would tell me about how they left pieces of bread <laughs> along the path so that they could get their way home. So, I mean, she was just a total delight. And I so looked forward to being in her realm, in her realm, in her world, that she had created just for me because this is what I needed. I don't, I've, I've been told that my grandma was a, a real witch to everybody else, but for me, it, this, was, this is what I needed and this was the world she created. And then when it was time for me to go home, that world disappeared. And the next day, the world came back into being. Not quite the same world, but something similar. So, you know, where do you find such fields? How do you create such fields? That, that pure land is right at your fingertips. If we think about the Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion, it has a thousand arms, a thousand arms. And in each hand, there's an eye. Sees, sees beings and hears the cries of the world. But also in each hand, there's a tool. 
So it's wisdom, the tool, the skillful means, as well as the heart energy. So it's that great compassion, the compassion that is informed by deep wisdom and insight. So to know, okay, I have these thousand hands with all these tools, what being is in need? Oh, well, I think I'll use this tool. <laughs> goes, goes there with that particular tool for that particular being at that particular time. And with that tool and with that entrance into the meeting of that being, a world comes into being. A world is created. I mentioned Rumi. But you know, this metaphor of field is very common. Uh, I think there is a biblical reference to lilies of the field. They don't, they bloom, they don't worry, they they sway in the wind. They don't worry about tomorrow. They're taken care of by the Lord. And so this sense that we live in a benevolent field, in a field that is being cultivated, that there will be bodhisattva energy there to care for us, to support us, to help us heal in whatever way we need. That that's the kind of confidence and faith that the lilies have, that we can have as well. And then I think of, of the, the, the little infant um, Siddhartha, who is sitting under the rose apple tree when he's a little toddler. And he's looking out at the fields that his father is plowing. And in that moment, he, there, is a, there is a premonition of enlightenment. Looking out at those fields being cultivated, sitting under this tree, that's a premonition of what is to happen for him as he matures, as he grows. So that field, that emptiness, that openness is really a critical part of our, of our practice. And then, of course, there's this. Some of you are making this field. <laughs> You're actually creating a rice field. This is what this Raksu and the Okesa is patterned after. So Buddha is walking with his disciple Ananda and considering the forms that his teaching will take and perhaps designing a robe that will reflect the nature of these teachings. And he looks out and he sees this beautiful rice field, beautifully cultivated, but open and nourishing, a nourishing field of rice, which is a staple. And he says, let's pattern 
the rock zoo after a rice field. And that's exactly what this, this is. It's a rice field that you're wearing around your neck as, as a, a reflection of the field that you carry with you as you live in the world. Another way that we can characterize what happens in in this pure land, this Buddha field, might be simplified and may give you something to kind of hang on to, and I'm calling it the three H's. When your bodhisattva energy is called forth or you seek to engage when you're in need of a bodhisattva moment or more than one moment, many moments, you can consider that the being, you or the being you are, ministering to or responding to that being who is in need of attention you're not quite sure what that attention is it may fall into one of maybe three broad categories I'm calling them the three H's You or that being might just need to be heard. H is for heard. And one might ask such a being, do you need to be heard? Or do I just need to be heard? Is that my deepest need? I just need to be heard. Or, do you need help? Specific help. Action to be taken. Do you need me to help you do something or be something to take some action? Or do I, can I ask for help? I need help with this. I don't, I don't really know what to do, so please help me, help, help me, help me see. I'm not gonna say figure out, but help me see what I sincerely, genuinely want to have happen. And can you help me have this happen? That's the second H, help. The first is heard, help. And the third is hug. Sometimes all that's needed is a hug. Something wordless. And you could ask, 
do you just need a hug? Or do I just need a hug? And be able to identify that and to ask for it. So within this Buddha field that we create, we create it when a need, or maybe many needs, maybe you need to be heard, helped, and hugged, or just helped and hugged, or, you know, permutations and variations of the three. I'm not saying each one of those ages is exclusive. So the field the field comes into being when the need is there and when the need has been addressed then it disappears and then again you're moving through the world and you hear another cry and then oh yes okay it's like this is the bodhisattva of compassion she's the arms are already already ready. It's not like I thought at first, well, maybe after you address the need and pay attention to it, then the bodhisattva goes back to sleep until the bell sounds. No, the bodhisattva doesn't go back to sleep. The bodhisattva just goes back to availability, just goes back to this sense of, Okay, now my awareness has expanded again. And so to take these three H's and maybe translate them into our practice, more of our practice vocabulary, we could say that being heard is about attention, paying attention, practicing here, paying attention. This one, another little story of a Zen master being asked, you know, what, what is this Zen all about? And he replies, attention. Well, can you say a little bit more? And the Zen master says, yes, attention, attention. <laughs> and then, of course, the third time is always the three. And no, that's just won't do. <laughs> You've got to give me a little more meat on the bone. And again, attention, attention, attention. So, heard. I'm really paying attention to you. I'm not going off into la-la land, you know, into what my response will be or how I'm, you know, I'm having the same experience you are or really listening actively. And then um, help, wisdom, how, skillful means. Eventually you get good at it, especially when you fail a lot of times (laughs) being skillful. You get better at it. So the wisdom, and then finally the hug, of course, compassion. So heart-mind, attending, skillful means, 
and loving kindness, an open heart, an awakened heart, a tender heart that's informed by life experience, by insight, by understanding. So we have come together for the past few days to create a pure land, a Buddha field. Some of us actually had shovels <laughs> and rakes and, and pots and pans and, you know, to build this land, to build this Buddha field. This place is just pieces of wood, metal, and stucco, and stuff. It's just part of the ordinary world. But when you come with this bodhicitta, way-seeking mind, great compassion, the motivation to help and serve and awaken with all beings, here Oan becomes a Buddha land. It has been a Buddha land, a pure land, with which we have built together and which we've had the great honor of living in for a while. And of course, once you have had the great honor of having a Buddha land created for you, the next best thing, of course, is to create one in your own life, wherever you go. It's like Johnny Appleseed, you know, just planting apple seeds. We're planting Buddha land. So take this construction, this, this beautiful collaborative effort that we've been engaged in to build this pure land, this Buddha land that we call Oan, and play it forward. What is it called? Regift, regifting, right? Because after today, this particular Buddha land will disappear. And Oan will go back to being ready for the next, next, next. <laughs> Who knows what the next will be? But it will be ready to meet the needs of beings. <laughs>